gotta get messy and show the world you growing as an artist and you're free to be yourself you got a dream you need to start it stick together get messy says you're formally invited to a community where you can find people that spark the feel of excitement too many art supplies not enough time no it's tougher so you must find a way to feel some connection you got a lot of people with the same kind a great mind we're here for you a platform so we can hear your views time's yours forget chores i know you bored of them same rules Hey, it's Kaylee and you're listening to the Get Messy podcast. I'm excited for you and I to hang out again today. Over at Get Messy this month, we are focusing on worthiness and of being worthy of making art, worthy just because we're worthy. And in a world that tells us that we're not worthy or that we need to do all these things in order to be worthy, I think it's more important than ever to realize that we're great. And if we want to make art, if we want to spend our time plucking snails from leaves, I don't know, whatever you want to do, you're worth doing. You're definitely worth making art, even if it doesn't look like Picasso every time you create something, you're worthy of making that art. And I'm talking with Kelly Saganak today. She is someone who has changed my life completely. I started working with Kelly last year on myself (laughs) and doing deep, deep inner work with Kelly guiding me as my life coach. I'm really excited for you to meet her because I feel like everyone needs a Kelly in their life, if not the Kelly. She has a very good way of looking at the world and she believes in making change through love. Inner growth and Figuring out that you're worthy through love, making change because you're awesome rather than the way that I have always been taught, which is that I suck and I need to fix all of my mistakes. So it's kind of a breath of fresh air. I feel like (laughs) I always tell Kelly she's helping me teach the lessons in life that I've already learned through art, you know, like imperfection is beautiful. And so if you want to learn all of these lessons for real in your art, Kelly and I are actually working on a class that's going to go out into the Get Messy membership at the end of the month. It is totally worthwhile because it has Kelly's mad wisdom uh, when it comes to matters of the heart and my ability to get you creating the best art you can. So we're combining self-love and art making and it's going to be an amazing class. Kaylee enjoys serving as a certified life and weight coach and nationally certified health and wellness coach. She's also Professor Emeritus of Counselor Education and Supervision. Kelly specializes in the neuroscience of anxiety, stress, and emotional eating and helping women heal and thrive through self-compassion, self-love, and self-worth. In her free time, Kelly loves spending time with her family, walking, reading, cooking, and perfecting the art of being more and doing less. I'd love to see the art that you make while we keep you company <laughs> in this episode. Just tag me on Instagram at Kaylee Gray uh, to make sure that I see it because I know it's going to be amazing. Here's the interview. Thank you for joining me in this chat today, Kelly. 
Oh, I'm delighted, Kaylee. This is so fun. I always enjoy chatting with you. Oh, well, it's interesting because I'm in control now. Yes, and there's something that's just, I love that. I, I love it. <laughs> I love relinquishing it all over to you. <laughs> oh, oh, interesting. Yeah, normally I do not like letting go of control, but it's good that you do. Yeah. I do. <laughs> I really do. Now, I wasn't always that way, but I have come to just embrace it and love it. Well, let's talk about that. Let's dive right into that. Um, tell me a bit more about your history with control and doing and being and all of that. Oh, gosh. I don't want to ramble and go down too many rabbit holes, but um, I think because I grew up in a pretty out of control family as an only child, I think trying to find where I did have control was, was important for me. And so if I could keep my room just right, my grades just right, you know, things like that, just right. I have some sense of control in a very out of control environment. And I think that carried on with me as I got older and went into relationships and other things in work life, just always trying my, I was always seeking where could I grab onto some control? So I felt safe. My control was all around safety feeling safe, being able to um, just control my environment and those around me. And so I was just very wired at an early age to seek where I could find control. And what's so funny about that is when I reflect back, um, even though I thought I was in control, I really wasn't. It was just all made up in my head. And as I've developed and grown up and worked on myself, which is, I think, my most greatest achievement besides my kids, I've come to discover that control is just such an illusion. That it's not, I can choose to feel safe without having to be in control. See, I used to think being in control would allow me to feel safe, but I can decide to be safe and just let life unfold without having to micromanage it to feel safe. Does that make sense? Did I say that right? It makes sense, but it does feel like a stretch for me because I feel like I am not as zen about that yet because I also like control and I don't know how to choose safe yet. <laughs> right? Yeah, I think it's a journey. I think it's a journey. Um, and I... I don't think the switch just flipped for me overnight. I think it was a process of relinquishing it slowly with certain things, certain people. Um, and it just sort of scaffold and culminated over time. Um, and I think all of us have different areas and places in our lives where we might seek control or feel like we need more control. Um, so I think the journey is different for everybody. It really is. 
um, and it's small steps. And I'm still doing it. I haven't get it. It's not all lack of control. You know, it's not all there for me yet. Um, but it's so rewarding to to know inside that I don't need it as much as I think mm. I do. I mm. think, yeah. Yeah, I think there must be a lot of freedom there. Can you give practical examples of how how you practice this and how you bring yourself back to it? Love this. So there was a time in my midlife where I f- was feeling very out of control and very scared. I was reactive. Um, and I started to have physical symptoms that the stress was causing for me. And I went to see um, an integrative medicine doctor because I had heard that they they practice more holistically and there's other options. And I had been reading and learning more about other options. And so spent time with her and she said to me, have you ever done yoga? And I was like, yeah, sort of, no, don't, you know, I just was real resistant. Um, and she, she gave me a pass to a student, a local studio. And I remember sticking it in my wallet and just, because I had this image of hot yoga with all these beautiful bodies in a studio and that just wasn't me. So I was kind of like, I don't know about that. And then she also asked if I meditated and I was totally resistant to that. And I was like, no, you, this brain won't meditate. Again, I had this vision of sitting in lotus pose for 90 minutes, you know, and I was just like, that's just not me. And I think those two practices, along with um, a journaling practice that I picked up along the way, um, because I've always loved to write, those three really stick out to me as the transformative practices in letting go of control that I still practice today. Um, Yes, I've been meditating now for years and it's evolved and I still marvel at how those three combinations of like writing and journaling and um, meditating and yoga just sort of combine to be the center of how I've been able to relinquish control. Yoga really specifically, and everybody has their own journey, but for me, putting my body in some of those positions, knowing I could fall and bust my tush, I had to relinquish control, didn't I? And I can remember, and my yoga instructor still says this, Kaylee, she'll say, when we're up in certain positions, she'll say, trust, trust. And like, wow, that's part of relinquishing control is trust. That the net will be there or that the universe will provide or that we'll be okay. You know, it's that trusting the process, trusting the journey trusting that the net will be there, even if it takes us in a different direction. Oh, yeah. One of the, one of my sessions with you, we spoke about 
meditation and um, specifically meditation while making art and around art. And I was, I was kind of struggling because I've got a meditation practice, um, but it wasn't fitting me for whatever reason. And then you spoke about meditation firstly being firstly fitting it around you um and what you've got to give and like fitting it into the season of life that you're going in but also um about doing what works because sometimes sometimes something feels like meditation to me or Mm -hmm. it's it brings that 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 thing that meditation brings um but it's not sitting quietly for half an hour um yeah, in a lotus pose, going like this, going, um, <laughs> right. So um, I'd love for you to talk more about having meditation and also yoga and journaling fit into your life and instead of you making your life fit into it. Yes, I love that. I think when I got out of my own way and saw yoga, meditation and journaling, and, and, and saw them as entries and opportunities that I could experiment with, then it became fun. It became fun. I didn't have to fit into, you know, maybe society's definition of that or, or what had been taught or how experts said you have to do it this way. And when I kind of saw it as my own laboratory, it became fun. Um, so like with yoga, I would experiment with different poses and different music and different classes at my studio. Like she even does aerial. And I was like, I'm aerial. What's that? And it's when you're off the ground in these beautiful silk hammocks. I know I never heard of it. And you float and it's beautiful. And it actually, because of working with the hammocks, it allows your body to get in really amazing poses, but you had the support of the hammocks. So there was so, I just allowed myself to really begin to experiment. And with yoga, the whole, not one of the premises is that what you do on the mat translates out into your life, right? So by by allowing myself to experiment and try all these different positions of being out of control, it began to generalize to my life. Um, And even meditation, I always thought I had to control my thoughts. Like I had learned that meditation was quieting the mind. And because that would never happen to for me, I thought I was doing it wrong and then it wasn't working and that um, I, I, I can't do this because I was trying to control my thoughts. And then when I learned from some meditation teachers that, no, just watch them. And I thought, really? So again, it was letting, releasing control of what my brain does and just watching it and be, and kind of marveling at all that went on in there, I started to relinquish control with what was going on in my mind. Yoga helped me relinquish control with my body and my mind, because some people call yoga meditation in motion. 
So there is a meditative component that you can tap into when you're doing yoga. Likewise, some believe that yoga prepares you for meditation. Like once you do a, um, a, an asana practice, that then you can settle into the pose and meditate. Like you can do it that way too. And, and even sometimes, because I love to walk, you can meditate when you walk. There's meditation that you can do when you walk. And then at one, some point I bumped into Julia Cameron's work years ago, and she is a writer and does the morning pages approach that she recommends. And when I read in her book, The Artist's Way, that it's a form of meditation, the, the morning pages is a form of meditation, that's when I really started to embrace that meditation can be so many things for all of us. It can, like I would think when you're doing your art, your journals, your art journals, to me, that would sound, that sounds meditative to me. Yeah. Because you kind of get in a zone, don't you? Yeah. Yeah, completely. Not, not every time. No, no. <laughs> right. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. If you like in flow and everything, I don't know what it is. Like I would love to know what it is so that it could happen every time, but it happens like most times and I'm going to show up just to get that. But that like flow that hits immediately meditative and you feel lighter afterwards. And yeah, some women um, I've embarked on baking. I took a baking course because I wanted to learn more about um, sourdoughs and making these really amazing breads. And it reminded me some women find, or men and men, people, um, find kneading the bread meditative. You know, you fold it, you press it, you bring in the petals, you know, that whole process, it's meditative because it bring. I think the key is, from what I think I know, from what I've learned, it's bringing ourselves to the present moment hmm. and being with ourselves in the present moment, really whatever that looks like. Yeah. I really wish that T would find making bread meditative because I'd like to eat all the bread that he makes. <laughs> but I have no, I don't have the patience for making bread at all. Um, speaking about coming to the present moment. I think that with all of these things, with art making, with meditation, yoga, anything like this, coming to the present moment and ignoring everything else around you is inherently selfish, right? And you can help me with my words there, but uh, doing something just for you, I don't know, it feels like like you're not worth doing it. Like you need to, if you're going to be making art, you need to be making like basically the Mona Lisa, otherwise you're wasting your time. Or with yoga, you must be doing the the ribbon yoga. <laughs> My mind glazed there. But like the really fancy, or like the hot yoga in order to be making it worth your time. So let's talk a bit more about that, about the idea that that you have to be making it worth your time and worth the universe's time. Oh, yeah. This will take us in a variety of places because what came up for me um, was how sometimes instead of 
embracing that we're human beings, we've somehow redefined ourselves as human doings. <laughs> that we have to be doing something productive or that there's um, some performance in it or outcome, big outcome in order to feel worthy to be a human in the world. Um, and as you were talking, Kayla, it reminded me when I first did start yoga at the studio, I went like every day. Because I got stuck in this doing thing and I would only go to the hard, hard classes. Like she had yin classes and restorative classes and my brain would say, oh, those aren't hard enough. That's what came up as I was listening to you. Those aren't hard enough. Restorative, yin, just sitting in a pose. No, you got to go where you're going to sweat and work hard because then you did something. You were worthy, right? And now, years later, I'm, those are my favorite ones are the restorative and the yin ones. Because I can just settle in to a pose, settle into a space, and I don't have I don't have that need to be proving or doing to make it worthy that I went to the class. That's what came up for me as we were talking because I do I think sometimes when we've been socialized that to allow ourselves that time and space to be. And it's sometimes labeled as selfish because we're not doing something for someone else or earn or doing something to earn income or earn something or do something or prove something. And I think over time I've come to know and, and embrace, not that I don't struggle with it. It's, it's an ongoing journey, but that the more that I do and give to myself, the better I am for others, the better I am for when I'm working to earn or produce. I'm a better employee, I'm a better coach, I'm a better um, partner, I'm a better mom. When I allow myself to use your word, that selfish time. Yeah, it's like selfishness to, selfishness is unselfish. I love that. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. And it's like we label it as you're wasting your time, you're being indulgent. There's so much other stuff that needs to be done in the world. And you're at a hour-long, you know, yin class, just sitting in a pose. And yet the person I that I am becoming in that class and the person that walks out the door and back into life is so much healthier than the person who deprives herself of any type of selfish self-care. So what makes you worthy of going to an hour long class or making an hour of art? I was born that way. I was born worthy, right? So I, when I was thinking about chatting with you today and I, I was exploring self-worth a little bit and there's so many different definitions and terms for it, it can get sort of muddled up. But what 
stuck out to me most is it's really self-value. It's valuing, it's valuing self. Um, some say respect is part of that. I prefer reverence over respect. Um, but it is, it's, it's self-value. It's I'm valuable. And so taking care of me is important because I'm valuable in this world. And what about, you know. what about the people that don't believe that they're valuable? Like um, we've got so many people in Game AC who join and they say, you know, I've been, I'm retired. And so now is finding my time to make art. Um, what about like those people that didn't believe that they were valuable until they were able to retire and go on pension and literally do nothing else. And now they finally have time for their art. Yeah. I mean, I was that people, I was, I was <laughs> those people um, that didn't value myself to be able to schedule time for me to be creative or um, to care for myself I ran myself in the ground. Um, I've been in that burnout place and that, I mean, my heart goes out to people that don't value themselves or believe that they're worthy. It's sad. It's heartbreaking because we were born that way. Mm. And somehow along the trajectory of our lives, we either got a message or we were treated a certain way, or we heard, you know, something that shifted that for us. Um, because we were born worthy. Mm. And so I think the journey sometimes is to, it's with ourselves. You know, sometimes we think, well, if this person would do this for me or pay me this amount or treat me this certain way or give me these things, then I'm worthy, you know? But it starts with ourselves, Um It starts small steps. I think that it's a journey that doesn't have to start once we retire. Mm -hmm. It can start today in just exploring and beginning to step into that. We're, we're simply, we're worthy because of who we are, not what we do. Mm -hmm. So no, practical yeah. steps for doing that today. Yeah, I think beginning to just be willing to experiment and explore with it, explore it. You know, one of the most powerful questions is the why question. You know, why do I not, why am I choosing to not schedule time for me to do my art? Um, why do I put myself second in my family or third, maybe fifth? You know, why, what is it that prevents me from allowing myself to receive, mm -hmm. right? So often we're great at giving, but we're not very good at receiving. I remember a mentor years ago, he gave me a compliment when I was doing my graduate studies and I kind of dismissed it and kind of just like, oh, yeah, yeah, not, yeah, you know, and he challenged me in the moment. He says, you know, when you dismiss my compliment, you're dismissing me. And I never forgot that. I never forgot that lesson because that was not my intent, but I, 
was so self-deprecating back then and didn't think enough of myself to say thank you because he thought enough to thank to say that about me. So now, whenever anybody offers me any type of compliment or feedback, I thank them with gratitude. I thank them. Yeah. So I think it can be small steps like that, mm-hmm. you know, just beginning to notice and observe where you discredit yourself. Because, you know, in our work together, that's what we've done. You started, first of all, noticing where, you know, you notice where you discredit yourself. You have to get really clear about your patterns of unworthiness and where they show up before you can begin to change them. And so practical steps would be, first of all, noticing and observing, watching where you just diminish yourself. Mm. I know, know, like... Uh, most of the most of the artists that I'm thinking of that struggle with taking the time for themselves, they are always the biggest givers. It's always the people mm-hmm. that are like they light up the room, they make things magical for everyone else. Um, and then as soon as you know you want to give, you want to tell them, "Oh, you're amazing," then they will struggle with taking that. Um, and I think that the whole idea of replying to a compliment or someone noticing something nice about you we've been taught that the correct reply is to divert or to go like oh it wasn't that big a deal or like if someone tells you you've got a great dress then you always respond with where you got it from instead of just being like mm-hmm, I like it too like it looks great and on doesn't me. it look good on me <laughs> you know thank you I think I wear it well pretty pretty much too you know <laughs> Um, you're so right. We're so, it's like here where I live in Wisconsin, um, the state's sometimes called, referred to as Wisconsin nice. Okay. Because everybody, it doesn't matter what you do. So common, the common phrase in this state is I'm sorry. It's like, you can just maybe not even get in someone's space or just maybe you meet at the door at the same time and, and, and somebody will say, Oh, I'm sorry. And I'm like, gosh, you didn't hurt me. You didn't hurt me. You know, it's like how we get trained into these patterns of, like you said, dismissing compliments, always saying, I'm sorry, um, kind of downplaying what we do. And sometimes I think if we don't have really um, solid self-worth, we look for it externally. And I think what happens, this might resonate with with your artists, is we get our self-worth from giving. That if I give, then I'm worthy. We don't do that with ourselves, though. But if I give to others, then I'm worthy because that giving does feel good for the most part, or it, you know, it's meant to feel good when you give, but you can feel good about yourself and worthy, whether you're giving or receiving, it can, you, you know, it's like one doesn't depend on the other. And so often if I'm giving from an empty cup, let's say I'm giving and giving and giving from a place of unworthiness over time, what can happen is that giving 
can become, um, I can begin to feel resentful and kind of bitter because I, I'm giving from this kind of empty vessel. Mm. I don't know if that makes, does that make sense? Yeah, that makes total sense. Um, and then also like refilling that vessel, we can only really do it with stuff that fills up. Like we first need to fill ourselves up. Yeah. Kind mm -hmm. of, it seems it's um, simple, but not easy. I love that. Correct. Phrase. Love that. Yes. Phrase. Yes. Correct. <laughs> yeah. So yesterday I went on a long, a long walk, three hours. I took my journal and my Griffin um, and I was journaling and I, I don't know this, there's, there's always something when I know that I need it the most, that's when I have the most um, what's the word that I'm looking for? The rrr. It's a Stephen Pressfield word. Resistance? <laughs> Resistance. Resistance. I have all his books and he talks a lot about resistance. <laughs> resistance. That's when I'm feeling the resistance the most is when I need something the most. Like I needed my journaling so much and it got to the point where I just like did not feel, I just went, I just left the house and I took my journal and Griffin and I did it. Um, and I mentioned it on Instagram and the ever, ever wise flow her name is Flo. <laughs> um, she replied that it's because you are scared of facing yourself. You're like scared, you know, it's, and it's ridiculous because I know it's going to be a good journal. I know I'm going to feel better afterwards, but for whatever reason, my body and my like, like I tense up whenever I want to do it, even though I know that it's right. And this is, you know, like I've been doing this for a long time. Um, and so what I wanted to say about that is what I ended up writing in the journal. So this is maybe two separate things that we can talk about. But what I ended up writing in the journal after pages and pages was your words about human being and not human doing. Because I ended up judging myself quite harshly for feeling this. What's the word again? Kelly resistance resistance <laughs> so I was judging myself for my resistance which makes more resistance and then I mm -hmm. end up journeying about that and eventually I was just like why why won't I do this why won't I do that and eventually I was just like just be like it's fine mm -hmm. you feel these things and it's fine mm -hmm. and it's okay yeah so let's talk firstly about resistance against things that are good for us and that bring us alignment, fulfillment, happiness, calm, all of that. Why do we, why do we resist it, Kelly? Oh, you asked the best questions. Um, again, it would be the why question, right? Um, why am I resisting this? Many, many believe that at the core of resistance is fear. Mm -hmm. There's something that we're afraid of. Um, and so that would be my quick answer is that we resist to protect. Mm. I love that you reframed fear as to protect yeah. because it's, it's such a good reframing. Cause then again, like you're like, Oh, I'm scared. And you're like, then you judge yourself about being scared, mm -hmm. but you're not going to judge yourself about protecting yourself. Exactly. 
Right. Because when we're, if you really, un, I just got chills. When you really unpack fear, there's a fear, fear, there, there's, there's usually safety involved, protections. I'm going to get hurt. I'm going to get killed. I'm going to get, you know, something's going to get taken away. And so it's, it is, it's, 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 yeah, there's protection that really comes into play. Saving someone, you know, protecting someone, shielding someone, all of that is tangled up in fear and anxiety. Um, so if I'm resisting, if let's take your journal example, if you were resisting journaling, what was it maybe you were protecting or trying, or what were you trying to keep safe? Definitely didn't want to look like an idiot in front of myself. <laughs> okay, there you go. See, it's a, it's, it's a matter of filling it in with what it's going on for us. Um, it's, a per, it's personal. And I love what you said, because all of it's fine. All of it's okay. Because um, you, you're so wise when we resist, when we fight with what we're feeling, we make it worse. We make it worse. So yeah. next time I'm feeling so much resistance, what, what would be the practical steps? Well, you took them. I mean, you you went with mm. it. You sat with it. You didn't try to do something. You just and gave yourself. This is what I'm hearing. You gave yourself permission to be with it. Be with the resistance. You know, just be with it. it and and don't do anything with it. You can explore it. You can be curious with it. You can breathe with it. Walk with it. Um, because so often emotions don't stay with us forever. They come and go, you know, like waves, currents. But often too, if when we're resisting, you know, there could be a story that's causing it. Um, but a practical step for me is first of all, similar to what we talked about before, is just to watch it, just to watch it for a while. With compassion, be curious about it, not judge it. Um, get to know it, befriend it. And then, you know, you can begin to, I think, work with it with a little more ease. Yeah, I think one of the one million best advices that you've ever given me um, was looking at something from a pace of curiosity. Because it's the same as art. Like if you're stuck in art, just get into the head of a beginner, like just play like a kid, right? Mm -hmm. Just think, oh, if I added red to yellow, what color does that make? Or if I did this, what would happen? Instead of, oh, I put these two down and it looks terrible. Oh no, like I'm a failure. Instead of that line of thinking, mm -hmm. um, you know, just being curious because then no matter what the outcome is, it doesn't matter because you, you solved the curiosity. That's, you know, if you like shift the, um, the purpose instead of being the result to forming a hypothesis, that's fine. Mm -hmm. Right. Oh gosh. When you said result, what can often come up around resistance is perfectionism. Oh yeah. 
you know, like, and perfectionism is a, is a cage. Um, and it talks us out of so many things because if I can't do it perfect, then I won't do it at all. I'll resist. Right. So I think perfection gets tangled up with resistance as well. And so I'm not going to do it because it's not going to be good enough. So I'm just not going to do it. I think we can get into that story as well. Like I have, I love bullet journals. I just love them. I have all colors and then I, I get into all the designs that people do in their bullet journals. And this is where a practice for me. And I'm like, I can't draw as pretty as they do. So I, I can't bullet journal. Yeah, right. So it's what I do is like, yes, I can bullet journal my way. You know, um, I can make it work for me. And it it is. It's crazy how perfectionism and procrastination get all tangled up in resistance. I just won't do it because I can't do it good enough. I'll put it off because it's not going to be good enough. And all of that is can be fascinating to explore. Yep. Perfection it's is all protection. Well, <laughs> you say protection, I say cop out. <laughs> the idea that we were aiming for anything close to perfection is just ridiculous. I mean, even Michelangelo was not perfect and he's pretty, you know, he's pretty close. Like we're not going to be Michelangelo, so it's fine. We don't need to aim for that. Well, and don't you think, don't you think, Kaylee, perfection is a myth? I don't, perfect, we create perfection in our yeah. own mind. Um, perfection in itself is, is imperfect. That's my favorite thing. Like I read oh. um, Art and Fear, and I think they say it in there, that it, it's a myth. Like that's ridiculous. If, imper if perfection itself is imperfect, what? What? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Uh, okay, so I love the way you said, the way you reframed your bullet journey to saying, I can do it my way. So instead of just like, I can't do this, I'll never be able to do it, saying, I can do it, but my way. That is, there's right. so much freedom in there because, that, and I mean, that's why I love art journey because there isn't one way to do it. You don't mm -hmm. have to be perfect. Um, it's, <laughs> bullet journey seems super perfectionistic to me <laughs> you know everything's in a grid um and art journey kind of just says screw everything just have fun just have fun um but obviously there's still there's still a lot of thoughts going about not being able to art journal and and so reframing it you are the only person who's going to be able to do it your way right so you'll always I be know. able to do something Right. And if I wasn't me, I wouldn't be able to put out into the world my uniqueness. It's like, mm -hmm. I, I know I didn't say that well, but it's like when I made my first loaf of, of wheat sourdough, my first wheat sourdough loaf, that's what it's called. There was a time in my life when I, the result I would have judged so harshly because it didn't look like what was in the magazines. So it came out, I did it last Sunday. I'll send you a picture of it. Yeah. 
when I took it out of the Dutch oven, I felt so much joy. <laughs> I popped it out. I set it on the thing to cool. And I called my, my husband and I said, look at this. I, I was just in awe. It was gorgeous. To me, it was gorgeous. It was so gorgeous. Did it look like the professionals? No, <laughs> I didn't care. I made it. And then I, I let it cool for an hour. And then I cut it like she taught. And I broke open the crumb and more joy because the, the crumb was just beautiful. <laughs> and, so, and I think that's the thing with self-worth. It's like I've come and it, it was another reflection of how far I've come on my own self-worth journey mm. because I was so thrilled with what I created there was no judgment. Yeah. There was only excitement about what was I going to do next kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Finding value just in the fact that you've made anything at all. Oh my gosh. <laughs> it, yeah. So that's an, I think that's another example of how you can watch yourself evolve over time with your own um, journey of self-worth and letting go of control is as you go on these journeys and you put yourself out there and you risk and you do things you might've never thought you could do to notice how you start to feel. Hmm. Like I said, there was a time when I would have judged that bread. I just relished in it today when I, when it came out, I, I was just happy dancing. <laughs> and so that in itself was rewarding because it was evidence for me of how far I've come. Mm -hmm. So I think what I wanted to finish up and say is that if we don't, though, go on this journey, we miss the opportunity to recreate the, our relationship with ourselves. It's like if I resist and I don't, like if I would have talked myself out of trying sourdough, I would have never gotten to go on this very rewarding journey. And I think women, I think we talk ourselves out of a lot all the time because, yeah, I guess fill in the blank for yourself because, you know, it was like I was talking to my friend about it because I had taken this baking course and she gives a variety of things to bake in the course. The wheat sourdough loaf is the hardest. And she says in the course, now you might not want to do this one first. You might want to do all these other ones, right? So you get the hang of it. What do you think I do? Uh-uh. I'm doing the hardest one first. Here's a go, Kaylee. I would have never done that. I did the hardest one first and it and it came out beautiful in my eyes. Mm. So I'm I'm all pumped up now about my bread baking. <laughs> Well, now tell me what would have happened if you took it out the Dutch oven and it was completely burnt? I love that question. I think I'd have been okay. And I'll tell you why. I think I would have been okay. And I would have been okay. We fail forward. What did I learn from this? Because it took me several weeks to get my, my sourdough starter going. I dumped several batches of starter down the drain. Mm -hmm. So I had already been failing forward through the process. And so when this particular batch of starter finally took off, I was joyful and I just knew it was going to work and I was just okay. 
um, a wise coach taught me years ago to practice failing. Hmm. Now, ideally, we only fail when we quit, but she actually challenged me to start messing up. Mm-hmm. He said, I want you to make mistakes, intentionally make mistakes and keep making them until they don't bother you so much anymore. I love it. We had I know. A- so I think that was part of it, too, is I've just worked hard. It sounds kind of goofy, doesn't it, to work hard at messing up? No. But I've practiced making mistakes. Yeah. We had, um, which is, yeah, it's another way to let go of control. Exactly. We had a full season at Gemesi, the season of failure, and we got a um, bingo card with 50 little blocks, and you had to make, make 50 mistakes on purpose. Perfect. That's it. So freeing. So freeing. Same thing. Because if I allow myself to make a mistake, I'm, re- I'm relinquishing control. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's another practice really of giving up control is just get really okay with yourself and mistakes because mistakes are learning if we look at them objectively yeah like if you think about all the um marble that michelangelo must have like chopped in half in order to get david or you know like there's so many examples um that's where you're learning that's that's the part Um, And I'm going to keep applying, like I'm going to forever apply your words to art. But um, those failures are where we learn what we need to make our masterpiece. Right? That is where we're going to get. We're not going to make a masterpiece by making 10 masterpieces. That's no. We're going to make it from all the mistakes we've made. And we're going to, and from all the happy accidents, like when we accidentally splash neon pink on our page then we go hmm that looks quite good you know I'm going to do more of that and then that's how you narrow things down yeah yeah so true you have to make mistakes it's part of the human condition it's how we figure stuff out we have to make mistakes but we're so trapped in unworthiness and perfectionism and we judge ourselves so much that we we're afraid to make mistakes because of what we we make them mean Mm-hmm. You know, if I make a mistake, I'm I'm not worthy. I'm not a good baker. I can't do yoga. I can't write. Um, but I think sometimes society sets us up for that a little bit because we always see the beautiful outcomes that artists create, right? We don't get to go behind the scenes and see their failures in their process and how much they struggled. We We don't ever get to see that, right? unless it's in some documentary or memoir or, or we actually get to go behind the scenes, we just see the beautiful product at the end and we go, Oh God, I could never do that. Yeah. I'm, I'm trying to find the quote. It's also about Michelangelo. I don't know why he's on my mind so much today, but he said, um, if I'm going to butcher the quote, but it's like, if you saw how many times I fail, you wouldn't, or like how much practice goes into this, you wouldn't think that I am, as great as you think that I am. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like singers. We hear them sing and we go, oh my gosh, I, I could never do that. Do you know how many times they've sang it or played it or I know, but we don't get to see that. And I, sometimes I, I, I wish 
the processes of others was was more visible. And you and I have talked this about this before too, that we get so hung up on outcomes instead of the process, mm-hmm. right? The sweet mm-hmm. stuff in the middle. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Our time is up. I knew this would happen. It feels like I've been talking to you for five minutes, but we need to wrap this up a bit. (laughs) So I've been asking you for a lot of practical ways to do everything that you're talking about and you've delivered, Uh, but I thought we could wrap up with you giving a practical way to, to, to find your worthiness inside of you. Well, the first one I said was to start to watch yourself. Mm -hmm. But I think what's coming up for me, and I'm not overthinking it, is to decide for yourself what that would look like. Mm -hmm. For you, for the person. I mean, I think that's it, is what would worthiness look like for you? And then to begin to give yourself permission to create that for yourself without depending on anybody else. Uh, I don't want to add anything after that. I think that, I think that's it. That's good. That's amazing. I'm not going to, I'm not going to add. Thank you so much for your words. Um, thank you for spending time with me today and for sharing your insane, insane wisdom so openly. I am lucky enough that I get to do it every week, (laughs) but it's been, (laughs) it's been such an honor being able to pick your brain and to be in control. All right. Yes. And I've loved it. I've loved giving it to you. Hey, creative. Are you avoiding your art? waiting for the perfect time to create. You know, when life is calm, the world is worry-free, the dishes have been done and pigs can fly. Spoiler alert, perfection is a myth in life and art because here's the deal. You don't need to devote hours of your day to your arty craft. Your art doesn't need to be perfect. In fact, we encourage it not to be. And one simple and super fun art practice can change everything for you meet the get messy art journaling school the creative community for imperfect artists ready to make messy amazing art forget drips of creativity followed by the kind of arty awkward silence that summons uninspirational tumbleweed and uncomfortable creative stagnation get messy is your official signed sealed and delivered permission slip to flip off the dishes Tune out the chaos of everyday life and tune into the creativity within you. It's your invitation to ignore perfection, embrace making a mess and indulge in some serious fun. Beyond Get Messy's digital doors, you'll find your creative sidekick, artistic adventure and an inspirational sanctuary where you'll always be welcome in. Messy mind, paint plops, charcoal smudges, ink stained fingertips and all. Zero expectations, zero pressure, all the fun. Your creative community awaits. Learn more at getmessyart.com.